Hey everybody, welcome back to Couch Blab Podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Seagron, and these are my two co-hosts. I'm Hope. I'm Ben. Let's talk about cartoons. Yes, indeed, let's. And today we're going to be talking about one of the oldest surviving animated films in history. This is The Adventures of Prince Ahmed by Miss Latte Reinecker. It's a little tricky to say. Man, I thought Snow White was the first film. Oh man, well that's what you're wrong, bucko, because uh, this <laughs> predates it by about... <laughs> About six years. It was made in 1926 in Germany, actually, and it's uh, it's all paper cutouts with wires on a multi-plane camera, of all things. That's correct. It's actually a little system they used to call, and still call it today, known as silhouette animation. It takes a lot of its uh, history back to, like, shadow puppets, um, similar to weighing shadow puppets, to be correct. And... This system and how they use it is basically they place it on pegs. They use something called paperboard, you know, like paper, or a little bit of cardboard. They put some pegs inside, some metal pieces, and they connect it with wire essentially. And what that does is you can basically rotate those joints and move it around so that way, you know, kind of similar like working with a little paper puppet you move it around, and then they capture it frame by frame like traditional animation. And this isn't just like, these aren't just puppets that you can like recreate by doing uh, shadow hands on the wall or anything. Like each of these puppets has like really detailed tiny pieces that look absolutely intricate against like the plain background. And like, you know, a lot of time and effort went into each of them like to make sure that they moved well and like all the transformation animation went over really nicely and it just looks very beautiful even though it was produced 90 years ago. Absolutely. Um, the silhouetting of it basically allows a lot for the imagination to kind of come into play. You kind of have to uh, visualize what things are happening, but the good thing is that the images are so clear that you can pretty much read the whole story as it progresses, downright to things that look absolutely beautiful, to things that are, you know, just generally humorous. You kind of have to put the t- mental p- images together, such as in various scenes. And that beautiful camera also, like, you know, they can move the background separately from the foreground, a technique that was really hard at the time so like this is one of this is one of the big films of the time to put that into place oh you're absolutely make it so they could have dynamic camera sweeps yeah Yeah, like uh, things like dynamic camera fancy Ooh, we get crazy now but uh, yeah the 1920s (laughs) sure knew how to live (laughs) yeah like basically one of the major things from it is it was extremely hard to do in films such as like bambi for example where they have to kind of take the painted layouts for example like the opening shot where they pan through the forest they had to take it and then rotate it in order to get the layouts to move individually through space and this one kind of uses a very similar system a little bit more dated but pretty much almost as good um, using those paper cutouts in order to achieve that sort of look. And an extra point of it too is that it combines it with a lot of classical music. The entire um, thing is scored by a Wolfgang Zeller and it's not just a simple music track laid over things as they're happening either. It's scored to the moment so like when things are tense like the bells and the strings will come in and then like when uh, when things are more light-hearted or going out of control, different instruments will be used. Absolutely. I think it works really well, especially considering the fact that back in those days, they didn't really have a way to record audio to film yet. There were a couple ways that were still in experimentation, but nothing officially released into theaters. We wouldn't get there until about, let's say, the jazz singer. Um, So in order to do that, you had to bring that entire orchestra into the room where the film was being played and just play it live. I imagine it must have been incredible to see back in its day. Another thing that might be... uh 
that might have been new to the eyes of people back then is uh, the presence of color. Limited, though, like, they managed to get the color onto the film, literally onto the film. Like, they went and they went into the actual film cells and they tinted them different colors for each scene to match different emotions as well. Like, for instance, it's not just black and white. It, like, you get the blue for the calm scenes and, like, the red or the oranges for the more hectic, angry scenes. And it's just a really, inter a really interesting technique to see utilized, like, with such, with such old film. And boy, did it pay off, because, God, that's probably the most unique thing about this movie, like, looking at it visually. Like, it just clashes really well with, like, the blacks uh, above the uh, single colors. Well, yeah, like, when they say, like, you know, you should put all your characters through a silhouette test, make sure it reads through strongly, this is what they're talking about. Every, like, single silhouette just reads through, like, quite wonderfully against the limited backgrounds. Oh, absolutely. A big thing with it, too, is that they use it for a lot of specific moments. Like, a lot of the scenes that are blue are usually calmer moments or during the day. Or, like, they'll use green or, like, red for dramatic moments. Even the title card's kind of in this wash of yellow. And it looks really, really nice, considering the fact that somebody had to go in and take that film strip and tint the emulsion with just regular dye to get those colors. I imagine it must have taken them hours and hours upon time, but it, it's definitely worth it when you see the final result. Yeah, it's quite amazing that a film such as this, like, uh, managed to survive for this long so that we could see it today. Uh, Kiriano Cristani is actually the first person in record to make animated film. Um, he also made it using a similar method, such as... Um, basically the silhouettes where he kind of taped those pieces together, wired them up, and animated them individually. Um, the only problem with them though is they're considered lost nowadays. But on record they were lost in a fire, so they're considered nowadays lost films. All we have is some concept stuff and some, you know, individual pictures, but we don't have the actual footage of the film, so we can't go back to it and say that that's the first animated film. So the oldest surviving animated film would be this one, Akhmet. And another thing, too, is that even though basically it was in development and it was able to last the time, there was actually a good chance that it never would have seen the light of day. She almost entirely lost everything during World War II. She was an escapee from the Nazi party. Uh, yeah, like uh, copies uh, that were in Berlin at the time were lost in the uh, Battle of Berlin from what I can remember, but like uh, copies that were outside of Berlin uh, managed to survive and that's why we have uh, that's why we have the film today. You know, they restored it in uh, 98, of course, like and they recreated all the co nice color tinting to go along with it too. So now we have like uh, now we can listen to it and look at it in a, in a much higher quality. Yeah, and I think the restoration pays off really well. I mean, either way, you know, the silhouetting in which they design is pretty much it holds up on its own. I do wish that more people knew it was like the actual first animated film, though, because like uh, Disney with all their high publicity kind of stole its thunder a bit. Yeah, I mean. Well, that's Disney. They kind of take everything and make their own. <laughs> Like, well, yeah, but it's like, you know, I mean, the argument could be that, like, Snow White incorporates, you know, voices in it, but, like, you know, it's not the first animated feature-length film, you know, this is, this takes the crown, it is the title holder for this. Yeah, well, there's a big saying that, you know, history writes the winners, essentially, and in the case of Disney, the one that's more remembered is a lot of the Disney films, they're much more heavily marketed, they've reached kind of a widespread American market where animation was, you know, at its birthplace in time. 
and during a time period a lot of foreign filmmaking in general didn't really quite reach the U.S. as well as we know it today. Yeah, I definitely don't think that uh, its status as a German film, however nicely it looked, really helped its cause in the States or uh, other parts of Europe during the wars. You know? Yeah, considering the fact that it kind of just came out at kind of an awkward time given with World War II, it wouldn't have been able to kind of see the light of day within the United States. In fact, we really didn't get access into much, much later. But I think that, you know, the historical value of it, it, you know, it has a really long legacy going down. One of the biggest things that it has a historical value to is the system of silhouette animation still holds up today. In fact, um, if some of you are familiar with Adobe Flash or Toon Boom Harmony um, using kind of puppeting software, it uses kind of the exact same elements. You basically put things onto pegs and connect everything together until you get um, essentially joints that all connect and you animate it that way rather than just simply drawing everything frame by frame. And that system borrows heavily from silhouette animation. Okay, but aside from its historical value, let's definitely get into a little bit of its plot. Um, if you're familiar with the original story from A Thousand and One Nights, it doesn't change much from aside a couple of different differences. Um, it's about the same story of Prince Ahmed kind of taking on this African sorcerer who basically gets him, you know, transported far away from home. He goes to a lot of different lands while he's trying to make his journey back and make it back in time to save his sister and, you know, restore the kingdom from the clutches of the African sorcerer. Along the way, he meets a lot of faces, and he also falls in love during the time he meets the miraculous Patty Banu, as well as a little well-known face you might have heard of him, Aladdin. Oh boy, let me tell you something about this Aladdin chapter. It is probably the slowest bit in this whole damn movie, I swear to God. Like, you could literally pause the movie there, put in your DVD copy of the Disney movie Aladdin, watch that, come back to it, skip over this chapter, and then continue on from there for as how relevant this entire part of the movie is. Like, it kind of takes a backseat. As soon as, like, it gets kind of to the part where we are introduced to Aladdin, it actually pauses it all together to tell us the backstory of Aladdin. Which, granted, I believe during 1920s, they wouldn't have been as familiar with Aladdin, but nowadays it's kind of just seems like filler in hindsight, considering now we've got to go through the entire story of Aladdin, which everybody at this point knows, and then we would just somehow get back to Prince Ahmed, so it's kind of just shoving that right in the middle. Okay, um, well I feel like that's about everything from the main details in which we need to cover. I guess my final thoughts on the film would be like it definitely is a milestone in cinematography as well as animation. Um, a lot of the different detailing and you know basically the fact that even though this came out well into 1926 it still holds up really really nicely just alone on the silhouetting and kind of the magic of the design. Everything kind of looks like you know it's all been hand done and sewn and just kind of beautifully crafted together in my opinion. I think that it's still resonates really well with a lot of audiences and it's definitely a treat to see if you haven't seen it yeah already. i would say i would say basically if you haven't seen this it's something along those movies like either metropolis or the cabinet of dr caligari if you're into those type of old really old silent films you'd probably be a, get a real kick out of watching it and if you did and if you did like this uh lottie reniger like kept making films long after long after prince Ahmed, even transitioning over into color fully 
So uh, it's uh, it's really good. If you want to see more of this paper craft style, she kept she kept making more of it for a really long time after this film was made. Very impressive. Absolutely, and a lot of them still to this day fly under the radar. And you can pretty much find a lot of these kind of floating around online. And there's also some collections for Reichenner's work. So if you get the chance, please go out and you know look for it. Um, and if you're looking for this film in specific, it is on DVD and on Blu-ray. Both are available on Amazon at the current moment, which are the Restored 98 version if you're interested in taking a look at that. And um, to close, basically, if you're interested in more of our content and you know the things that we develop, we do do this constantly. Uh, we're going to be right here at Couch Pub Podcast. We do have a Patreon available, um, our YouTube channel as well, SoundCloud, and all of the links are going to be in the description below. All right. Well, I think that's a good first start of our first animation podcast. Yeah, that about wraps it up. Yeah. So, well, we'll see you tomorrow for our TV podcast where we discuss the Twilight Zone. I can't wait for that. I know you can't. It's going to be fun. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it will. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening to us, and we'll see you tomorrow. So, bye. Thank you. See you later. Bye.